Happiness is a person and his name is Jesus and it's who we are in him. But the only person who comes to Jesus is the person who's humble enough to acknowledge that they don't have it all together. So you have a broken person and a perfect savior and the broken person's ability to say, I need help. And that's why happiness comes on the other side of humility. You probably don't think of happiness and humility going hand in hand, but that's exactly what Pastor Daniel lays out in today's edition of Jesus is Real Radio. He shares that God wants you to be happy, but happiness doesn't always come in the ways you'd expect. You'll learn that Jesus said deep, lasting happiness starts with recognizing and admitting that you're not okay on your own and you need Jesus. In this way, humility is the foundation for happiness. Now, here's Pastor Daniel in Matthew chapter 5 as he starts a new message called Unpacking Crazy Happy. You know, there's nothing quite like a snowstorm to give you a whole bit of perspective. Isn't it the truth? You know, and we need that. We all need to be able to catch a perspective sometimes to get to get a, a change of of how we see things i mean i think about this snowstorm unfortunately for many of you i mean for some of us it was just kind of straight fun and for others of us it's like people lost power and i was talking to some folks who had lost some power and they said something really powerful they said you know i take having electricity for granted you know but you only think about that once you've lost power right you know and i think in the same way 2020 has also created this where you realize how many things you take for granted right i was talking to someone this was a couple months back and they were talking to me about about church and they're like you know pastor daniel you know with with uh, things being closed down i had really begun to think that church was optional and i just realized how much i need it but again it's a perspective change it's like all of a sudden we get a new lens through which to view life and 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 i bring this up because you know uh I've been so excited to, to see the book Crazy Happy launch into the world. And in a lot of ways, my only goal in the book is to take what God's word says and give us a, a fresh perspective on happiness. Because everybody wants to be happy. Can I get an amen? It's the reason McDonald's never created a sad meal for everyone to buy. You know what I mean? Like, can you imagine you're going to be like, hey, I'll have the sad meal. Like, no one's going to buy the sad meal. It's like, you're going to buy the happy meal. And so everybody wants to be happy. But if you're like me, you go through life and you're thinking, this is going to make me happy. And this is going to make me happy. And you get on what I'd like to call the hamster wheel of happiness seeking. And we've all done it, right? Where you're like, man, I'm going to be happy once I get my driver's license. Oh, I'm going to be happy once I get that new car. Oh, I'm going to be happy when I'm done with school. I'll be happy when I'm done with college. Oh, I'm going to be happy when I get that job. And everyone who's got a job is like, no, you won't. You know what I mean? And then, oh, I'll be happy when, when, when I get that promotion, you know? And then you get the promotion and you love the pay bump, but you don't like all the stress that it brings, the extra hours that it brings. And we end up living our lives, if we're not careful, constantly taking the next step, constantly taking the next step, right? But what I am constantly finding is that there's the way our world works and then there's the way God's kingdoms works and they're not the same. 
So I went into the scriptures at a time in my life where I needed some perspective. The genesis or the, or the foundation for this book, Crazy Happy, happened for me about five years ago. And it was at a time when everything was really going great. Like, you know, like uh, my first book had come out. God was doing such a unique work here at Crossroads in that season. I love how God works at Crossroads because in every season, he's doing a unique, special work. Like, I love what God's doing in Crossroads right now in the midst of all this. Because I see God bearing unique fruit. But at, at the time, there was so much going on. And I remember I was what I would call skidding into a summer vacation. I was like, you know, you ever have like a vacation? You're like, I need that vacation right now. Like you're just like holding on to the vacation day. I was in that place. And, and God was working in a powerful way. And I was excited about what was happening. But I was getting crispy. I was getting brittle. And I remember going into that vacation, normally... I'm the kind of person that when I have a break, it's like there's very specific things that I always want to accomplish. I'm a, I'm a classic goal setter. You know, like I just want to get this done. I'm going to read these books. I'm going to read these chapters in the Bible and it's going to be great. I'm going to do all this stuff. And I was so tired that literally I went into this vacation was like, all I'm going to do is soak in the Beatitudes. Because this is the idea of like reading a lot of scripture felt overwhelming. Bringing in another book felt overwhelming at that moment. I was so just tired. You know, and I, was, I felt brittle. And I remember I sat down and I grabbed my journal. I had my Bible in my journal. And the first day I just opened up to the Beatitudes and I wrote them all, all nine of them down. And I just started journaling over them. You know, just reading them, seeking the Lord, writing what God placed on my heart, right? And then if you know me, I'm, I'm frisky that way. I'm ADD, you know, it's like, it's hard to keep me to stay calm. And so after about four days of this, a thought popped into my head. Where I'm like, hey, isn't there nine fruit of the Spirit as well? So I flipped over to Galatians chapter 5, and I'm like, yeah, there's nine fruit of the Spirit. There's nine Beatitudes, and then the light bulb went on. I wonder what happens if I put them together, you know? And then sure enough, I, I, the next page, I wrote the Beatitudes, and I wrote its corresponding fruit of the Spirit. And it was really cool because, like, I believe that God's Word is perfect. Can I get an amen? I believe that it's inspired. Can I get an Amen. I believe it's without error. Can I get an amen? So I think the word order matters as well. Like God puts things in an order for a reason. So I just kept them right lined up. I refused the temptation to mix them around that it would make sense to me. And I just lined them right up. The first beatitude with the fruit, first fruit of the spirit. And then all of a sudden I started journaling again. And as God's word started to come together for me, I'm like, this is special. So I did what anyone in my position would do. I went to Google and I said, who wrote a book on this? You know, I'm like, it's like these two famous passages of scripture. Like, who wrote a book on this? And I'm like, I can't believe no one wrote a book on this. In 2,000 years of Christianity, no one wrote a book. I'm like, well, I better get on writing that book. But what's been really fun for me is it was, gave me a much needed perspective change on the ways that I was seeking after happiness. And I think that's what the Lord always wants to do. So in this Crazy Happy series today, we're gonna just begin looking at the Beatitudes. Now, what's in the book and what's in the series? Like, I always like to tell people, the best things I can write as a book is if I write what Jesus said. You know, so the book, I, I just f heard from a friend of mine. He said, Daniel, you know what I love about this book? I need to keep my Bible right next to the book because you're constantly talking about scripture and I'm constantly going and referencing it. And so at best, a good book has a lot of Bible in it. The best books quote the scriptures. And so today we're gonna to be looking at the first half of the Beatitudes. So open up in your Bibles, Matthew chapter five. We're gonna take verses three to six today. So open up those Bibles of yours. If you didn't bring a Bible with you, open up your smartphone, type in Matthew chapter five, verses 
three to six. Now, I made the point that the happy person is the blessed person. That word blessed in, in, in the Beatitudes, in the Greek language, it's the word makarios, which literally means the fortunate ones or the happy ones. So it's amazing that in Jesus' most famous teaching, the Beatitudes, in his most famous sermon, the Sermon on the Mount, it begins with these nine statements of this is what the happy person is. And, and, and what's amazing is that we live in a day and age where everyone wants to be happy and everybody knows that Jesus is important, but nobody actually looks at what Jesus says. And it was amazing for me when I realized that I've been looking at this idea of the blessed person. I never actually, even though I had taught people, hey, this word blessed means happy, I never actually put it together that this actually teaches us God's plan for our happiness. He's like, the happy person is this. The happy person is this. And it really just changed my perspective. And the reason I call the book Crazy Happy is not because, you know, it's like, you know, Ren and Stimpy, like happy, happy, joy, joy, like, like kind of kooky happy, even though you know that it's kind of who I am, you know. But the idea is that God's plan for our happiness is found in unexpected places, surprising places, what I would call it crazy places. And I, I feel really blessed because, you know, now I have a, a word or, or a phrase to, to be able to put to the way of life that God has me on, this crazy, happy way of life. But what we'll find in these first four Beatitudes is we're going to find four really unique ways that God invites us into his plan for our happiness. If we quoted Psalm 144, verse 15, I want to make sure we hang it over our lives, where it says, happy are the people whose God is the Lord. Now, what that means is that God has a plan for us to be happy, and I'd like to make the point that grumpy Christians are bad missionaries. Listen, nobody ever saw somebody who was grumpy and said, I want to worship who they worship. Nobody ever met someone who's just down on everything and I'm so angry about this and say, man, I really want to worship Jesus like they do because look at how grumpy that I've always wanted to be. So there's, a, there's a, a, a joyfulness to the people of God that should stand out as distinct. But with that being the case, we learn things about what God's plan for happiness that you would think, okay, so what you're saying is you have to be happy, not real. No. That's not what it's saying at all. Because look at the very first one, Matthew chapter five, verse three. Blessed are the poor in spirit for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. So I would say it to you this way, that happiness is on the other side of humility. Happiness is on the other side of humility. See, because oh, how happy are those who can acknowledge their spiritual poverty, who can acknowledge their spiritual bankruptcy who are humble enough to be honest about who we really are. Like in, in all the self-help books that get written in our day and age about happiness, nobody ever begins with, you gotta be humble and your humility will lead you into happiness. But that's where Jesus starts. Oh, how happy is the person who realizes that they're flawed. The person who realizes that left up to their own devices, they're lost. But what's amazing is, if you think about this simple idea that God's plan for happiness begins with humility, it also teaches us something else about happiness. If humility is the entry point for happiness, then pride is the enemy of happiness. I know what we all struggle with, pride. 
And what's at the center of pride? P-R-I-D-E. What's at the center? I. So right at the very beginning, we learn that pride fights against our happiness. Why? Because pride is a focus on self. Humility is a focus on Jesus and then others. C.S. Lewis said it this way, that humility is not thinking less of yourself, but humility is thinking about yourself less. And in so many ways, God's plan for our happiness begins with humility. Why? Because the person who is poor in spirit, the person who realizes their spiritual bankruptcy, that's why we reach out to Jesus and receive him because by the power of the Holy Spirit, he makes us aware of our fallenness, of our brokenness, of what the Bible calls our sinfulness, of all the ways that we miss the mark and we become aware of it. And then we say, Lord, I need help. And then the Lord is like, that's why I sent Jesus on a rescue mission for you. You. And humility reaches out those hands to receive salvation in the name of Jesus. And I'm here to tell you that ultimately, happiness is a person and his name is Jesus and it's who we are in him. But the only person who comes to Jesus is the person who's humble enough to acknowledge that they don't have it all together. So you have a broken person and a perfect savior and the broken person's ability to say, I need help. And that's why happiness comes on the other side of humility. Of course, Jesus said it this way. Matthew chapter 9, verses 10 to 13. It says, now it happened as Jesus sat at the tables in his house that behold, many tax collectors and sinners came and sat down with him and his disciples. And when the Pharisees saw it, they said to his disciples, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? When Jesus heard that, he said to them, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. But go and learn what this means. I desire mercy and not sacrifice. For I did not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Now imagine this. Jesus is this rabbi from Nazareth who's going around and he's preaching about the kingdom of God and he's healing people and Jesus' popularity is growing and all the religious leaders are watching him like, who is this guy, Jesus? And sure enough, as Jesus would sit down, all of that phrase, the tax collectors and the sinners, they were the not religious people. They were the not righteous people. They were the people that in Jesus' day, Nobody wanted, nobody who was spiritual or religious wanted to spend any time with and Jesus would sit and they would come and they'd want to talk with him and Jesus wasn't like, listen, you're ruining my reputation, folks. Can we like take this offline? Like let's not like be public about the fact that we talk to one another. See, Jesus wasn't into all of the outward stuff, but he sees people, broken people. And he's willing to talk to the people who are outcasts in their society. He was willing to identify himself with the people who the religious people looked down upon. And then the Pharisees, who were one of those religious groups, would come to his disciples and be like, what is he doing? Why did, like, everybody knows that that guy's a tax collector and that family rips everybody off. Oh, and these folks, man, you don't know what they do, but I do because I'm their neighbor. You know what I mean? And you can't talk to these people. And then Jesus says, ho, 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 He's like, stop. Those who are well don't go to the doctor. Can I get an amen? I mean, even when we're sick, we don't go to the doctor right now, you know? <laughs> like we got issues, like we'll deal with this later. 
But he says, but those who are well don't go to the doctor, but those who are sick. And he's like, I didn't come to call the people who were self-righteous. I came to call the sinners to repentance. And the best place that you and I can live is in that sinner's place. That, like the old hymn says, nothing in my hands I bring, only to the cross I cling. And we have this reality as the people of God is that we acknowledge our sinfulness and we also acknowledge that we've been perfected in the Savior. It's one of the many ways that the Bible is kind of like a paradox. Like oftentimes when you talk about individual sinfulness, someone's like, oh, no, no, we're perfect in Christ. Then you say, well, I'm perfect in Christ. But if you only focus on perfect in Christ, then you don't realize that you're prideful, right? So there is that that both sides of the coin, just as Jesus is fully God and fully man, you and I, we are broken and warped by our own sinfulness. And as believers, we still struggle with sin, even though we've been forgiven. If you're one of those people who say, listen, because I'm in Jesus, I'm perfect. In Christ, you are right here, right now. You're not. If you don't believe me, ask your spouse. They'll tell you, you get stuff wrong. Sometimes you're impatient. Sometimes you exaggerate. You know, like all these different things that we do. But there is this, we are fallen yet redeemed. We are flawed yet perfected. So it all begins with humility. And I love that. It's such a crazy thing. You want to be happy? Seek after humility. Someone's bound to say, well, Fusco, where's humility found? The only place I can find it is in the presence of God. When you're in God's presence, you will be humbled. It's one of the reasons why we often don't seek after God's presence. Because in the light of God's perfections, our flaws are clearly seen. You get into God's presence and you're like, oh, sorry, Lord, right? Gosh, I really messed that up. Do you ever try and pray and talk to the Lord when you just had like a disagreement with someone where you didn't handle yourself well? <laughs> I have this happen. I know you're shocked, you know? I get in the presence of the Lord and the Lord's like, yeah, maybe we should stop talking. You should go talk to Lynn and apologize. I'm like, okay, Lord, I'm so sorry. What are you sorry for? Everything. (laughs) Every thought I had, the things that I said, the way that I said it. And she's like, oh, and she's so forgiving. And then I go back to the Lord, I'm like, Lord, and he's like, feel better now? I'm like, yes. Because God makes us aware of our fallenness, but our fallenness drives us into the arms of Jesus, which is exactly where we're supposed to be. So it begins with humility. Now look at Matthew chapter five, verse four. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. What this means is that mourning is part of the journey. See, this is why God's plan for happiness is crazy, because most of us believe, I'll be happy when there's no sadness, when there's no mourning, when there's no grief. And Jesus is like, actually, no. Oh, how happy are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. So, Sadness is a part of God's plan for our happiness. Now you might say, well, Fusco, how is that possible? Well, first off, because it begins with that the happy person is the humble person, the first thing that makes us sad is our own fallenness. We look at our own garbage and the, and the catastrophe that our garbage creates, and that should break our hearts. And then we look at the world in which we live in, and everybody is broken in their own way except for Jesus and everyone makes mistakes and you have carnage everywhere because everybody is a sinner and everyone's making messes everywhere that they are. And so you look at the brokenness of our world and that breaks our hearts and that moves us to a a grieving. 
And that grieving is part of God's plan. Why? Well, let me quote to you the book of Psalms, chapter 30, verses four and five. It says, sing praise to the Lord, you his saints, and give thanks at the remembrance of his holy name. For his anger is but for a moment, his favor is for life. Weeping may endure for a night, but joy comes in the morning. See, what we learn here is that God as the ultimate redeemer leverages the things that break our hearts and then he brings us comfort in the midst of them. Remember, oh how happy, blessed are those who mourn for they shall be comforted. See, the crazy happy life is not a life where we're always smiling. There is time for grieving. There is time for weeping. God wants us to be able to weep with those who weep. But we don't weep as those who have no hope. The shortest verse in your Bible, the Gospel of John, right? It said Jesus did what? Jesus wept. Why did Jesus weep? Because Lazarus has died. But don't, if you remember the story in John chapter 10, Jesus knew Lazarus was gonna die and he waited so that he would die. And then when he gets there, he knows he's gonna raise him from the dead, but he sees Mary and Martha and all the people grieving and he weeps with them. And then he raises them from the dead. See, God's plan for your happiness is not divorced from sadness. And here's why. Because we know the fruit of the Spirit is love, right? The reason we grieve is because we love. Like just recently, my beloved bride you know, my father-in-law went home to be with the Lord. And we wept because we love Lynn's dad. And we are gonna miss him. But if we don't weep at his passing, like, do we love him? Like, your love causes sadness. Anyone who's got a child, right, you know what it's like. Like, like my Obadiah just got his learner's permit. Stay off the roads. Because I'm getting to teach him how to drive, which is like a double whammy. Because you guys know I drive so good, you know? But like, I know like at the time when he actually gets like the real deal license, that's going to be a horror. Like I'm going to be shedding some tears. And I'm going to stay off the roads definitely at that point. You know what I mean? But it's like, you realize that like when you love it will bring you to tears. And God doesn't want, a happy life is not a life divorced of love. But what we always have to remember in our grieving, in our mourning for our own sinfulness and the sinfulness of the world, and because we love, because of that, God meets us in our grieving and he brings comfort to us. And that's God's plan. Though the sorrow may last for the night, with the morning comes new mercies and comes joy. God wants us to have a happy life, but this doesn't mean that you gloss over the hard things that happen in the world. In today's message, Pastor Daniel reminded you that Jesus is well acquainted with the broken parts of life and knows the pain of suffering and loss. You learn that mourning is an avenue for happiness to grow because it's in those moments that you experience God's comfort in deep and meaningful ways. 
Pastor Daniel's message today is just one of many he shared from a variety of books in the Bible. Would you like to explore more? Just visit JesusIsRealRadio.com to access our library of audio. You can also connect with Pastor Daniel on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram through the links you'll find at the bottom of the page, JesusIsRealRadio.com. Hey, this is Josh, and I wanted to personally thank you for listening today to Jesus Is Real Radio. Did you know that Pastor Daniel also has a TV program? It's called Real with Daniel Fusco. I want to encourage you to go to JesusIsRealRadio.com Click on the stations option in the main menu and find out if Real with Daniel Fusco airs on a TV station in your area. Make sure to tune in again when Pastor Daniel will share more surprising ways that Jesus says will lead to a happy life. As you study the Sermon on the Mount, you'll learn that meekness is one of these. Contrary to what the world may say, meekness isn't weakness. It's strength under control you'll discover that God wants his people to be a safe place where others can find respite in the middle of this crazy and volatile world. There's more to come from Pastor Daniel's series called Crazy Happy. Please glance at the clock right now and make plans to join us again for another edition of Jesus Is Real Radio.